The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there's enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers would laugh at him and say, this one began to build but did not have the resources to finish. Or, what king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings today present us with a wonderfully complex and yet beautiful synthesis of a number of important elements of Christian life. St. Paul, at first glance, at first glance, in his discussion at the end of his letter to the church in Rome, speaking of the law and how to observe it, simply wants to say, don't do any harm. But that is not at all what he is saying. Rather, he points out that much of the law, historically, is a list of avoid doing this and don't do that. Don't steal, don't bear false witness, do not be violent. And note the temptation when one hears that. I didn't steal, I was basically truthful, and I didn't hit anybody. I must be doing okay. But St. Paul is not saying that. He's saying in a certain sense that all adds up to do no harm. But what I want you to do is love your neighbor as yourself. And love, as he mentions, does no harm, and so it complies with all the old law said, but love doesn't stop at doing no harm. Love is interested in doing what is actually good for the other. And note the difference. This is why our response to the first reading involved that statement of the one who lends to the poor in his need. And so note, the scriptures are saying to us, it's not enough not to steal. It's not enough not to be violent. It's not enough to quote unquote, do no harm, if in fact we do no good. 
because that in its own way is harmful. To pass by the poor who is in need and extend no help is to abandon him. To pass by the one who is suffering and have no concern is to abandon that one. On the one hand, we can fool ourselves by saying, I wasn't violent, I didn't harm him directly, and yet my passing by doing nothing is in itself harmful. And so note the distinction. It is not simply avoid doing bad things that are harmful in an obvious way. Recognize that the withholding of love, the withholding of compassion is itself a harm. And the poor, the needy, in a certain level, according to St. Scripture, have a right to compassion. That is an odd way of putting it for we North Americans who like to describe our rights in terms of what we get to do. But Scripture says something else. Rights are not merely about what we get to do, but about what others get to expect from us. And if one glories in the name of Christian, then the world itself has a right to expect something from us. That makes us uncomfortable because we don't like that. I like to be in control of my rights. I like to be in control of my decisions. I like to be in control of my actions. I like to have my priorities. But the simple fact of the matter is scripture is absolutely relentless on this. The poor and the vulnerable have a right to compassion. Whatever else we think our rights are, they have a right to that. And so St. Paul says, if you are going to take care of yourself, recognize you have an equal obligation to take care of others. And that comes with the gospel. It doesn't come from government permission. It doesn't come from any philosophy. It doesn't come from merely us getting our priorities in order. It's hardwired into what it is to follow Jesus Christ. This is why, in no small measure, we also have this important teaching of Jesus in the gospel today. And again, note how it begins. St. Luke tells us that great crowds of people were following Jesus. And again, let's just think about what is common Christian language in the world today. How there are great celebrations when we had many show up for a worship service. How there are denominations that will track the great number of conversions they've had. And note how Jesus is not impressed with numbers. Great numbers are following him. And notice Jesus doesn't turn to them and say, I'm really glad you're all here. Jesus doesn't say it is time to celebrate. The building is full. The event is popular. Everyone has shown up and we're all happy singing our praises. Interestingly enough, Jesus turns around and gives every single one of them a reason not to be there. How different he is from us. Because he's not impressed 
that we show up. We're the ones who, I've shown up, I pat myself on the shoulder, I give myself a virtual high five thinking I'm the king of the spiritual life because, Lord, I'm here. And yet, the Lord insists showing up is good, but how we show up is a more important thing. That we show up is not bad, it is necessary. But showing up by itself isn't enough. And so what we see here again is Jesus turns to those who are following him, and now he says, let's talk about what following me really means. Because it's not simply a matter of being with me at your convenience. And so he looks at this great crowd and says, wonderful, you're all here following me. Let's ask whether you're going to continue. And he begins listing these conditions. And again, they're surprising conditions at first glance. He doesn't begin with, if you don't believe that I'm the Savior, you can't follow me. He doesn't begin with, if you don't need my grace, you can't follow me. That's what we like to think the conditions are. And yet Jesus here is speaking beyond that. Note what he says. If you don't hate, what a remarkable statement. And then he begins to name one of our most dangerous forms of idolatry, which is the statement, family comes first. Not for Jesus. If you don't love me more than your family, you can't follow me. What a surprising statement that is. And, you know, let's just be honest with our reactions. We don't like to hear those words. Unless you hate your mother and your father, your brother and your sister, your children, and everything about us is conditioned to say that if the family is reasonably helpful, I mean, reasonably healthy, that should be my greatest loves. That should be a great value. The church itself speaks of the family as the domestic church. That necessary cell around which all healthy society is formed. And yet the Lord is speaking in this odd way, this language of hatred. Unless you even hate yourself, you can't follow me. And you can just imagine the confusion and the puzzlement on the part of all of those who are hearing this. And note how definite he is. Unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple. Not, you need to do some work. Not, you can walk with me while you sort this out. If you don't do this, it will stop you from being my disciple. And so we wonder what this means. And we see once again that the Lord is going to insist, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, I must come first. And every other thing is at best second. It's not the other way around. It is not, Lord, I want to follow you, but I've got family stuff to deal with. For the Lord, the answer is, no, you follow me, 
and then we'll worry about the family stuff. Note the order. Note the order. Because more often than not, it is things that we hold up as good that actually become our biggest stumbling blocks. Very few, very few are held back on the way of discipleship purely because of personal sinfulness. That is a tremendous obstacle, but it's not the only one, and it's often not the biggest. Rather, most of us are held back from faithfully following the Lord because our lives are entangled with lesser things that claim greater importance over us than the gospel. And so what happens is I follow my family problems. I follow my ambition. I follow my goals for my children. And odd as it is to speak that way, what happens is these are the things that are directing my footsteps forward as I live. It's not that those are bad things, but let's be blunt, they're not named Jesus. And so note what the Lord says. Unless you can recognize these entanglements that hold you back, including the way you wrongly love yourself, including this sense that my life is mine to live and nobody can tell me how to live it and what to do with it, unless you get over that, unless you look at yourself when you're thinking that way and say, just shut up, you cannot follow me because you will only be following your own willfulness. So the Lord is not saying harm yourself. The Lord is not saying blow up your household. The Lord is not saying abandon your family and be irresponsible, but he is saying, oh, you better be very careful what is dominating and directing your life, what is setting your priorities and your values. Follow me. Because when you follow me, then you'll be able to see rightly and clearly what the other priorities need to be then you will see rightly and clearly what the proper way of loving and caring for your family really is. But if you start the other way, you'll never know what it is to follow me rightly. Note how powerful that is and how clarifying. You know, one of the things that we run into time and again in Scripture the language isn't used directly in the New Testament as much as it is in the Old Testament, is the idea of the jealousy of God. And we often try to explain it away because jealousy is a negative emotion and God can't be bad. And yet the simple fact of the matter is that statement is there for this reason. If God doesn't care who we love and what we love, then God doesn't really love us. And so note, Jesus is jealous. He is jealous because he understands that there are false lovers, false objects of our affection. And when we give our hearts, when we misplace our love in these ways, they will not bring us to life. And he cares about that. He cares because he knows that unless you love me first, you'll always love wrongly. Unless you love me more than the others, even what you love will be less. 
Note how important that is. This is why the great poet John Donne at one point in one of his poems literally said, Lord, if you don't care whom I love, then you do not love me. But you do care where I fix my heart. And you care not because you're threatened by it. That's human jealousy. I'm jealous because I'm threatened in some way. The Lord's jealousy is because he wants nothing but the best for us. Nothing but the best, and that best is only found in him. And so when our hearts are fixed on following some other teacher, some other leader, some other desire, our hearts are always wandering away from the fullness of life, freedom, and goodness. And even though we say we want those things, note how easily we give ourselves to things that take them away from us. And so the Lord says, unless you pick up, unless you pick up, and his wording here is very interesting, unless you pick up your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, you can't carry somebody else's cross and you can't pattern your discipleship neatly and exactly according to anyone else's because your life isn't the same. And your relationship and your entanglements with your family, your relationship and your entanglements with yourself, those are unique to you. And you've got to face them. And you've got to deal with them. We all do. It's always nice to wish things could be different, but they're not. And so note again the insistence here. In your personal life, in the now of your living, there is something for you to pick up and to struggle with. But that struggle is a good struggle because it's the struggle to be faithful. And you've got to do it. If you're not going to bear the burden of the struggle to be faithful, how can you say you're my disciple? And so the Lord, who is not impressed with great numbers, desires that that entire number do these things. He's not saying it to drive them away. But he's also saying, it's easy to show up. It's easy to say, I want to be with you. Let's now talk about what it means to be with me. And that's why he then follows up with those two examples of the man building the tower and the king threatened by his enemy, saying, in any endeavor that is significant, isn't it important to sit down and ask the question, do I have what it takes to do this? Do I have the resources to build the tower? Because if I start to build without planning and I run out of funds, I've made a fool of myself. Let's so know what the Lord is saying. I don't want you who've shown up saying you want to follow me to make fools of yourselves. I don't want you to thump your chest and say I've decided to follow Jesus only to discover that following Jesus is hard and I can't do it. Rather, consider what's involved. Don't give me a quick, enthusiastic, naive decision. You're already with me now. Now let's talk about what it means to go further. And if you're serious about going further, just take a look and see what's involved. 
and then say your yes. And then say your yes. And he's preached that way because then if we look at it and say, Lord, it's hard, we also know that we can ask for the grace to move forward. All too many of us fall short because we don't ask for those graces. We ask for all kinds of other things. But the grace to be faithful, the grace to be good, the grace to be generous and loving, those are less common graces to ask for. But how do we expect to receive them if we don't seek them, if we don't ask? It's a marvelous lesson. And note how it dovetails with what St. Paul says. Don't just look at yourself and say, wow, I'm doing really good because I haven't done anything obviously bad to anybody. Rather, ask yourself the other question. What good have I done? What good have I tried? In what way have I lifted someone up? It doesn't have to be a big way. It just has to be a real way. Unless you love me more than yourself, more than your household, more than your immediate ambitions, you cannot be my disciple. Love me more than these things, and you'll also know how to love those things in the right way. But if you start with loving those things first, you will never truly love me. Note how important that really is. And it is that one who gives us this teaching who is here with us today in this place. And we'll be able to receive him. And note how marvelous that is. Because what does he do in this sacrament? He literally gives himself away to you and to me. And on an absolute level, we don't have a right to it, except for this. He's good. And that means we have a right to expect goodness from him, complete goodness. How marvelous that is. It's not because we deserve it, but because we need it. But this is that same point St. Paul is making. The vulnerable, the weak, the poor, the sick have rights. And that right is a claim on you and me. They have a right to our concern. They have a right to our compassion. And to pretend that other rights are more important than that is not to understand the gospel in the first place how marvelously and critically important that really is. Amen.